Rich Vulture. Hi. Hello. Wow, I'm talking to you. You've just been writing. You've just come here from doing. Yes, writing. my uh, hands are writing. What for? I'm really, really late with a screenplay that uh, I should have had done months ago. So. Can you tell me what it is? Well, I might have to kill you. No. Um. It's called Mom. I'm not a lawyer. That's the working title. It's about how. I, it's loosely based on me. This is because you... I told my parents after I graduated from law school that I was still practicing law when I was actually going into comedy. Ha, ha, ha. Did you ever Everybody's have, done this. Did you ever have any intention of being a lawyer? I'm briefly interrupting to let you know that I'm Marsha from yesyesmarsha.com and this is from a series of interviews that I did from 2009 to 2011 called Marsha Meets, which were long-form interviews with stand-up comedians that eventually inspired the book Off the Mic, The World's Best Stand-Up Comedians Get Serious About Comedy. That book's out now on Bloomsbury Publishing. Back to the interview. Did you ever have any intention of being a lawyer? Um, well, when I first got to law school, I realized that I didn't want to do it. But I thought, why don't I just get the degree while I'm there? I actually had a lot of fun in law school because I wasn't worried about grades, just passing. And then I just signed up for classes right at the end in Chicago, this place called Second City, which, you know, it's like a school of comedy. It's got like, you know... Bill Murray went there. Uh, oh, Steve Carell went there. Everybody, John Candy. And so I decided I'll go there, and then that's what I did. Is this so. after you finished being a student? Yeah. So it's like three years in law school. And so what did you... Hell. Was it hellish? Well, when you the work is crazy. There's a crazy amount of work, and even if you want to just pass, you have to do it. Were you not tempted to just drop out then, then, if you, I mean, was, you definitely didn't want to? I was, not just have a dummy in my place at graduation. And no, but I just figured, get the degree. And you know what people say, you can do anything with a law degree, which is bull. <laughs> <laughs> you can't. You can't go into space with a law degree. But I bet it's useful for loads of things, that there'll be a lot of situations where you can go, actually... Actually, it's not because law school is so general, right? It's like going to med school in general, and then you specialize in the gallbladder afterwards. Where Same thing with law. It's like, I know nothing about UK law. I know nothing about different states' law. I mean, I took the Pennsylvania bar, so I know all about Amish law, like if you get hit with a butter churn and stuff, but I don't know anything else. (laughs) If Sven hits Hans... (laughs) At the local quilting bee. I will say this. Whenever there's a contract, I know you're supposed to read it. Yeah. <laughs> That's a start. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, it's most of it's just common sense, though. So what did your parents think you were doing when you were doing this comedy course? They thought I was in a firm, and I had a fake secretary. Did you really? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Who was the fake secretary? Well, a friend of mine, Rebecca, would take calls for me because she didn't have to answer. The, she worked at, I think she worked at Blue Cross. So she just had to say, Rebecca. And so I told my mom that that was my secretary, and she would call me after that. And so she would go, Rich, your mom just called. She wants to know such and such. And I'd go, okay, tell her I'm busy. <laughs> tell her I'm in a meeting. Or, you know, that's the... So whenever you went home for Christmas, did you have to talk about the cases you'd been working on? Yeah, well, yeah. And then after a while, though, my mom didn't get as specific. 
because you know she just thought I was doing quite well and then I I gradually eased out of all of that I was I became a you know a, a entertainment lawyer and then a manager and then you know and so, meanwhile, you did this course. Well, it's yeah, it was more like a you do the courses, and then they can select you to go on the stage. Like they have like a touring company, and I did that, which was really fun. Doing what kind of thing? Well, it's mostly sketch and improv comedy. So that's what a lot of people started out as, you know, all the Harold Ramis and those guys and John Belushi. And so you just go around the country doing these sketch and improv shows and you it's like training you get really good at it and then ideally I was thinking you go to Saturday night live or something like that but I wound up going to the Edinburgh festival How did that happen? I just rubbed my hands together. <laughs> Magic well, beans spe- I got. It was a specific show though. Well yeah, I did this show in Chicago. Two friends of mine did it with me. It was called Modern Problems in Science. And basically what we did was we improvised a university lecture. So we'd start out, we'd go, hey, um, we need a scientific premise, something really strange. And people would throw out stuff like the center of the universe is a giant baboon named Andre or, you know, Czechoslovakia can be mailed. And we would have to prove it as professors. And we would go, I'm a professor of what? And they would say something like robotics or cryogenics or most of the times like gynecology and so then we would have to teach from that perspective for an hour so you did that show in chicago we did it for a year in chicago and somebody goes you ought to go to do the festival in scotland and then we did that we did that for three years and And didn't you have guest people coming in there was a week where we only had two of us so we had like greg proops sandy toxvig did it a guy named uh, brilliant guy Sean Cullen. It was that was a lot of fun. Rich Hall did it. Who's coming on the podcast? Hi, Rich Hall. And then from that, you got a TV show from it. Yes. How did you know? Done my research. You're good at this. <laughs> wow. How did the TV show happen? Well, we were doing the Just for Laughs comedy festival in Montreal, Juste pour rire for the French. Um, but we did that, and then somebody from the UK saw us and said. Why don't you do a show? It was Paramount UK. This was like 10 years ago. It's crazy. And it's the same woman that did uh, Spaced and stuff. And so we did it. um, Basically, we filmed part of it live and then part of it was pre-filmed. We did six episodes in about eight days. Wow. Like sometimes we literally had no takes or we just had one take. We had a negative take. (laughs) We had to give a take. (laughs) <laughs> but um, nobody's seen the show, thank goodness, because I don't think they um, they made copies. Oh, of really? It. It's not <laughs> yeah. on. It's not on YouTube or anything. So no, at Paramount UK. It's weird because I think they destroyed a lot of the shows. Really? Yeah. Why? The, I, because it's literally like they didn't want to spend money for the archival stuff. Literally, it was like forty pounds, and they didn't want to <laughs> shell out. I, I don't want to get sued, but I don't. That's what I heard. Well, the next show that you did was also Paramount Comedy. Was this one Unnatural? Unnatural acts. Yeah. yeah. Was that just from doing the thing on Paramount? Well, what happened was my improv group split up. Like one of them got married, the other one just wanted to go to med school. So I just was by myself, and we had a manager out here, and I just said to the manager, "Would you want to represent just me? Because she does lots of groups and stuff." And she goes, okay. 
and uh, she goes, what do you do? <laughs> like, it was like a reintroduction to what I, and I go, well, I'd love to do a sketch show, blah, blah, blah. So I'd just hang out at Paramount, and I'd say, is there anything going on? What's going on? I anything? What can I do? And there was this show on Natural Acts, and Julian Barrett's in it, and um, he got Noel involved, and um, Sean Cullen's in it, who's great. And we all just sort of bonded from that. And that was where they started, Julian and Noel started doing a sketch about them as zookeepers. Well, they had actually already started to like hang out together, and they would go to each other's flats and goof around. And they had this idea where they were both fascinated, almost bestiality-wise, in animals. No, no, I kid. <laughs> but um, they, they had this idea of two zookeepers, and they did a sketch from Unnatural Acts, which is like they were zookeepers. And afterwards, we all said, me, Sean, uh, Julian, and Noel said, let's get together and do a show for the festival, Edinburgh. And Edinburgh. And um, we did... Uh, only Sean couldn't do it because he had some other stuff. And hang on, before we get onto that, so okay. does that mean that those tapes of the unnatural acts, like of when the Bush started? Does that I have just... them in my attic. Oh, do you? Yeah. <gasps> so surely. Literally, they did a documentary. Um, it was called 1997 about all the people that worked during that year for Paramount because, you know, Matt, uh, Lucas, and Dave Williams got their start, Edgar Wright. Um, Jessica Stevenson, Dominic Jolly, Sasha Baron Cohen, everybody was like there. And and then it just closed up. They just did reruns of Cheers after that. And so does that mean they don't have, they in theory could have early tapes of all of these people, mm -hmm. but they don't have them? I know, they missed the boat. So they have to rely on people that might have kept copies. And you did? Yes, <laughs> have I they, got them. Have they not come knocking saying, could we have already? Well, I, actually for the documentary, this guy did. He, he I gave him my tapes, my DVDs. And um as far as the other shows, it's, I don't know. Because I bet they could make a mint on that. They could totally make a mint. And they were great shows. I remember Matt and Dave did a show called Mash and Peas, which was hilarious. And this show called Asylum, Edgar Wright directed, is amazing. What were those two shows like? Well, Asylum was like basically all these people in an asylum. And Simon and Jessica were in it. And it was just an amazing cast of characters. And Adam Bloom was in it. And Julian was in it. And Mash and Peace was just a little bit crazier than what they normally do, Matt and Dave. They did like spoofs on sitcoms and things like that. Am I right in thinking Asylum, there was some seeds of um, <laughs> space? <laughs> yeah, well, that's how that. it started. You know, they all started to work together. Okay, so going back to the Mighty Bush, you decided to do an Edinburgh show. It was um, you and Noel and Julian. Yeah, and running um, around. So you were the character running Bob around, Fossil. Run and run. Yeah, I also played this weird woodsman character in the, the stage show. Like, I would come out and I would go, Hey, everybody, what are you doing here? And it's like, when we first started doing live shows, like, we didn't know what the reaction was going to be. And so I was the first person that came out. And it's like, nobody had any reaction to the Like, hey, what's going on? It's like blank stares at me. It was just terrible. But it did really well. It got nominated for the Perrier. Oh, yeah. Well, but I mean, no, it won the Perrier Best Newcomer that year. We got Best Newcomer. And, you know, after we started doing it, we got a following. And 
it just sort of was one of those things that just kept. Were you touring it around as well as doing it in Edinburgh? At the well, bit, the after, beginning? after we did the festival, we, we had a run at the Hen and Chickens for a while. We would do like, looking back on it, it's crazy. We did an hour of sketch and then we did our stage show. So we would just like write stuff usually on the day and said, hey, why don't you come out as James Mason and I'll come out and we'll have a big head and or I'll be asleep in the audience and somebody wakes me up and it, it just we just try anything, which is great. And then the next year you went back to Edinburgh and got nominated for the Perrier. I, yes, I did not go that year. Oh, OK. I didn't go the next two live shows because I was poor and I couldn't go up there. I didn't have any money. I didn't have any way to, you know, and those guys couldn't pay me or anything. And not that I, I wanted to get pay. I would have done it for nothing, but I had a job. I think I had a job for MTV. Was that the writing US. a game show? Yeah, I was writing a stupid game show. What was the game show? It was called The Blame Game. It was about couples that they had already broken up, and then there was a judge to determine who was guilty of the breakup. It was all—it's the worst thing. So, ever. what bits did you have to write? Um, like little teasers, like the uh, um Alaskan hot tub. The, I don't even know. It's like puns usually. Like, is it too hot for the hot tub, or is yeah? And then, and then we would like come up with songs. That would represent the relationship. Like, it's too hot. Hot, hot, hot. I will survive. And it's just, oh. That was back in I'm America. Stomach pains. <laughs> yeah. That was MTV. Right. Yeah. So, did you move back there for that then? Was that? Well, I didn't move for that. I just sort of moved. I was kind of living in LA and here. And so I went back to LA and I did, you know, all the LA stuff you do. And so then when did you come back over? Well, I came back periodically. I did, um, I would come back and do some hen and chickens and stuff. But then we also got a radio show. And so I came back for that. So, I mean, we had always, always been in touch and always done stuff. And um, the radio show went really well. And then we got a pilot out of that. And then the rest just sort of took off. And so when the TV show first came out, was it was it like a slow burner or did it... Because, I mean, it's a huge phenomenon now, huge. But at the beginning, was it... It was a creeping burn. No, I mean, there were, there were fans that loved the show, but it didn't really hit until the second series. I think when we started to tour it. Because the whole thing was it was on BBC Three, not a lot of people were watching it there. And then when we were on tour... It was on BBC Two, and the DVD was out, so all those things collided, like one of those cyclotrons. <laughs> and at what point did you notice it? Like, was there anything that made you in particular notice it exploding? Like, was it the reaction at the live shows? Was it the... When a woman from Bournemouth ripped my pants off. <laughs> Seriously? No, 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 um... Yeah, you would get the you start to get more recognitions, and also we didn't know on the tour, like our first tour, we went to York, and we literally had been doing TV and radio for like literally you know four years or more, and then all of a sudden you get this huge reaction. It's like wow, people like the show, people like us at least you know on a plastic level. What in terms of reaction from the crowds? Yeah, yeah. So then we realized that, okay, there, you know, people are watching. 
And, you know, I think people took notice in the TV, but they didn't really know what to what to do with us. What do you mean? The TV people? They still don't. Really? Yeah. I mean, because if the Boosh were like a normal show, there would be ripoffs of it already. You know, like if some show gets popular, then people, you know, do cap- copycats. Nobody can do a copycat of the Boosh. But that's one of the things that so, I find so interesting about it is it is like it's so different from other things. And I really noticed that in um, Edinburgh this year, just watching some different sketch shows and thinking, OK, these are good sketch shows. But if the Mighty Boosh didn't exist, they wouldn't exist. There's a lot of people who do. I think it kind of gives people license to do that kind of comedy that's a bit weird. I think it's maybe opened the door to make people more open. To wow. It. Do you not? Really? Do you, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah, no, totally. I think so. I th- I. I I mean, and then, you know, you could always say Monty without Monty Python and without Spike Milligan and without dinosaurs. But, yeah, no, I think it gives... When we first did Edinburgh, there was, like, all these articles about surreal comedy. And then I think they would try to stick in other acts that was part of a force. Is surrealism back? And it was basically... We were just trying to just be, have fun and, you know. But I think it did really open the door for a lot of other things. And I think because it feels like there was always a lot of these things around, but this is, it's quite rare in that it's gone so mainstream in terms of so many people know about it. And Yeah. But tell BBC Three to put it on BBC Two. So is it not on, the last series was on main BBC, wasn't it? On no. BBC? Was it not? No, it wasn't. That's why, I mean, not that I, I'm not complaining or anything, but a lot of our fans are, are younger. Whereas like in the States where there's no sort of demographically, we're not pigeonholed demographically, the average age is a lot older. Oh, really? Yeah. How's it been going down in the States? Because it's been shown on a couple of different channels. Really well. I mean, there's there's a lot of fans, and I, I think what people fail to realize is there are more people in the U.S. So, I mean, I know a lot of people go, oh, well, they're not going to get it or anything, but there's a pocket of people everywhere that's going to get it. There's somebody in Toledo, Ohio, that's going to get it, that's wearing a diaper, right? <laughs> like, no, that's in an old Greg outfit, throwing stuff against the wall, you know? They're going to like it. So when we went over there, like the DVD came out in July and it had been five years since um, we did the show. There was just a large group of people that wanted to see us. And so did you do shows over there? Well, yeah, we did like three shows. We were initially just going to do like DJ stuff and then they advertise it as a secret show. So basically we did, we go, shoot, we're going to have to do a show. And so we just cobbled together something. And like in L.A., Robin Williams is at one of the shows. And it was like, oh, my God. And he came backstage like before and after. What was he like? He was like an amazing, he was like a huge fan. And he was just doing all his riffs and stuff. Hey, I'm old Greg. And uh, like it wasn't even the voice, but he just did it. And we were just looking at each other like, oh, my God, Robin Williams is riffing. That's amazing. Yeah. You should get him to do a quote on the DVD. Great idea. Or even try and remember Maybe what he said and just put that down. You're that full up. of ideas. <laughs> but seriously, something like that in America presumably could, I mean, over here as well, could could boost it up. Oh, we should have gotten that. So what's happening next with Mighty Butch? Are you doing another series? I heard rumours of a film. The scuttlebutt on the street. The, um, the ear to the grindstone stuff is that Julian and Noel writing a film. 
But they won't talk to me. Julian, no! What are you doing? Tell me what to do! I don't know what's going on. Is it either or, do you think, new series or film? No. I think the thing is, it'd be good to get a film. You know, now's a good time. It's the holidays. People are inside. I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> no, but I mean, it'd be great to have a film, don't you think? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. It'd be amazing. Would you watch it? Yeah, 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 okay. yeah for sure. But right. also, it'd be great just in terms of hooking in people who haven't necessarily watched the TV show. Well, that's the trick. As though. long as you can make it, you know. You got to make it, ex- like, that's the thing about, do you, you make it so that nobody even knows the bush will like it as well? How, how do you do that? I no, guess, I mean, that's the question. It's like, yeah. do you start the film about how they got together, how everybody got together? Do you start from squ- just go on a long adventure, like just an, a lengthy version of the TV show? Well, if you did it how everyone got together, then in that way, you don't have to have seen the backstory to understand it. But then there will be bits where fans can go, oh, okay, good idea. Good idea. Let me write that down. <laughs> Do you have a pen? I love that. I'm just handing these out to you. I just have a pencil. <laughs> so, um, so when you were doing the Mighty Boosh, um, you met Matt Berry. Yes. And uh, had you met him before? Yes. <laughs> I don't do Matt Berry, but yes. That's good. <laughs> had you ever met him before? No, I had met him briefly, uh, you know, uh, at night. Right. He was in a tunnel somewhere <laughs> and he had his neck around someone. No, uh... <laughs> Yeah, so I met him at the show. I met him, um, and we sort of clicked comedically. And I think I had been pitching some stuff after the show, the first series. And then somebody suggested, well, why don't you pitch something with Matt? And oh, so you did. there's more. Yeah. And it was just at the time when, you know, um, uh, Little Britain went from BBC Three to uh, One. And so there was everybody was scattering to get a sketch show. So they they commissioned like um, Man Stroke Woman and Titty Bang Bang, and then they commissioned the show Matt and I sort of pushed, which is Snuffbox. Yes, which is so it's got a narrative to it, but then it's kind of a sketch show. Yeah, because I mean, basically, we didn't actually we did I lied we didn't push the show, we pushed other things, but then they said, how about you guys do a sketch show? And we we weren't really into doing a sketch show, like at first. But then we go, if we do do one, we want to do the one we want to do. So, And did they let you? Yeah. I mean, it was so crazy because they accepted everything we wrote in there. And we were thinking, is anybody reading this? Do you know how you just drop an F-bomb in the middle of a sentence? And it's like, you're not reading this. There are some, there have been some bits on the show that I remember watching and thinking, how is this on the BBC? I mean, it really was titty bang bang (laughs) in some scenes. Yeah. But I mean, I think it's that's why it's such a cult classic, because you look at it now and like with all the controversy about, you know, nine o'clock, you've got to mind your P's and Q's. It's like we were on at 11 and it was, uh, you know. Did you get in trouble for any of it? No. Really? No one complained or anything? Well, I mean, we've got notes, but a lot of times we just ignored them or we we would just say, yeah, we did them. Well, I remember one, I did this thing called Rapper with a Baby. I wrote a song, and there's a thing where, you know, the guys are rapping with a baby on their, strapped to their chest. What do they call those things? Like a, uh, oh, it's not a sling, is it? Because it's, it's, it's like, like a, a forward sling. sling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A forward sling. And, and one of the scenes is they're in a crack den, and the baby's crying, and they go, 
I don't think you should have the baby crying in the crack den. It's like, oh, well, it's okay to have the baby in the crack den, but not crying. Okay. So did you change it? No. (laughs) (laughs) So you did that. That's out on DVD, isn't it? Yeah. That's out still. Yeah. Yeah. And then you did another BBC Three thing, Treks and Flipside. Yes. Yes. Treks and Flipside, which... Um, sort of evolved, like initially I thought it was going to be like a Flight of the Concords type thing, and then it kind of evolved into like a kids show thing. Do you want to just explain what it is? <laughs> well, it's like I play the manager and uh, of two rappers, and I was just kind of like, I'm Mr. Know-it-all, I know what to do, come on you guys, and sort of like that, and uh, the two rappers, and it was, it was really entertaining and stuff, but... I found sometimes I had to slip in my own, like, ad-libs. Were they all right with that? Well, it. I developed a little scheme after a while. I probably shouldn't mention this, but, like, first um, you do a rehearsal and they film the rehearsal, so I do the lines. Then they film the first bit. Were you involved in the writing at all? No. Oh, okay. I wasn't. They just gave me these lines. Which, you know, it was funny, but sometimes I could, you know, add my own little... Je ne sais quoi. So sorry. So you did the rehearsal. Uh, you you did do the, the rehearsal on camera, and then you do the first take, which you know invariably something goes wrong. And then the second take is when you unleash your improv stuff. You go, and you either get huge laughs or they go, Rich, could you come here for a sec? And it's like, bad, bad, or they get a taser. Did they keep any of them in though? Yeah, they did. They did, but it was like that kind of process. It was kind of like, and um, it was fun to do, but it was a bit sort of like you had to, it was like a little battle you had to do. <laughs> every every show is like, what what can I slip in where, when, what's the strategy? <laughs> did you ever tell anyone in advance to ache. watch out for it? Yeah, I did sometimes. and then But then I decided not to because sometimes it would bomb. So then you could just pretend it didn't. But that that just made me realize how great it is to work on the Boosh and Snuffbox. Like, they would just let you, they would give you at least a few takes, if not all of them, where you could just go off. But presumably as well, space. I always think with that kind of thing, if you're, if you're forced to do something in a sort of disciplined environment, then you can learn from it so that then when you can let go. Yes. No, I mean, uh, the best kind of improv I like is when you have a script. And you're not just given a blank, you know, because you've got something to go off of. How did you do it on Snuffbox? You, huh? The two of you wrote together. Did you, did you like go, okay, I've written a sketch, let's look at this. Or did you kind of sit in a room and write it together? Or I've written a sketch, <laughs> read it! Damn it! Um, it was weird because we had an interesting process. Like, there were some things we would write separately, and then we get together and just sort of throw them together like I mentioned the cyclotron and it just sort of worked out. It just sort of really fit. And I don't think we could have done it any other way. And there are some sketches where we go, okay, let's write this because it needs to be written and blah, blah, blah. And some of that worked great too. But I would say a lot of the stuff, you know, I think we each brought our own sensibilities to the show, which I think made it work. Is there any plans for any more series? Well, we want to, but... Will anybody do it? Would you like maybe tour it or anything? Would you do live oh, we'd shows? We'd love to. We um, Matt sings and has his own music, so 
He's already, you know. But we when we launched the DVD, we did a live uh, Snuffbox show, which nobody saw. Like 40 people saw. Where was it? At the Pagal. Right. Which is kind of a small venue. Yeah. But no, it was. It really, uh, really was good. So maybe, uh, maybe you could support him because he tours, doesn't he? Yeah. Sometimes, like, um, I would come out and sing the rest of the theme song. Oh, really? With him. Yeah, in my green <laughs> suit, <laughs> which is the only suit that really fits me. So I wear it to weddings and stuff, <laughs> and they go, "Hey, isn't that that snuffbox suit?" And I go, "Yeah, shut up." <laughs> so you've also done a bunch of guest spots on things. You went on the Sarah Silverman show. Yeah, yeah. I know some of those guys uh, from L.A., and um, they asked me on. And they're actually, the director's a huge Boosh fan. Oh, really? Yeah. And so Matt was on last year, and then I I was on, I played a reverend, and I married Sarah and her dog. How did it feel, the difference between American TV to British? Um, making analysis. Um, Well, I would say there's a... It seems like there's more craft services in the U.S. What do you mean? There's food all the time. Like in the U.K., they'll just serve meals, right? And then maybe they'll have some M&Ms on a table or a carrot stick. Whereas on Sarah Silverman's show, there was like food. There were meals in between meals, like Mexican buffet meal. Like if I ate there, I would be like 60 stone. If I was a regular. They do care about food a lot. They really yeah. care. And then they complain about how, oh, should I eat that? What What about that? Should I eat? How many calories is that? Should I eat my own hand? What do I do? Do I chew on my fingers? Oh, help me out. And then you just eat everything and then you throw up in the toilet. And did they let <laughs> you um, Did they let you do any kind of improvising? Yeah, the director was really good with that. And a lot of the people in the show are like, like Brian Posehn and Steve Agee, the gay couple, they're really, they like to improv and stuff. So it's, usually though, there's a script and then they, they'll go off a little bit. But it's pretty funny. It's well written. You also had a guest spot in Skins. Yeah. Yeah. How did that happen? Yeah. Well, you know, if you watch the show, I think there's usually a comic element in every show. And for whatever reason, they chose me to be a judge for this, like, teenage sex bomb show. And so I would do stuff like, you know what? You know what? I don't like it. I love it! (laughs) Stuff like that. That was my little catch thing. (laughs) So what was funny is when I went after the tour last year, we did a boosh tour, and then I went to L.A., Somebody in the Apple store goes, hey, I know you. And I think they're going to say, oh, you're Bob Fossil or I I saw Snuffbox online. They go, you were on Skins. It's like, whoa, Skin fans. Well, talking of youth TV, you're on MTV too. You're doing like a boosh spinoff. Well, I did this character, Eleanor, who's like, uh, she's a bit of a whore. And um, she interviews like up and coming bands. It's called Eleanor's Up and Coming. So it's kind of an interstitial thing where, you know, I interview like the Kaiser Chiefs and they're pretty established, but, you know, usually up and coming type bands that I flirt with. Is that on at the moment? I know there's bits online. I don't know. I don't have MTV on my TV, but if anybody knows, could you call me? (laughs) Tweet me. Tweet me. 
Twitter? Yeah. Have you been doing it for a long time? Well, I started doing it, obviously, for procrastination while I was writing. So I I was like, to be honest, in L.A., everybody does marketing stuff more than out here, which, you know, I have nothing against marketing. But it was more like, you've got to do it out in L.A. It's like, so people go, you got to get on Twitter. And I was like, I don't know. I don't want to say, hey, I just washed my hands or... Aren't snowballs terrific? They're all different. But I got on it and it just started, I just started saying random things. And, you know, it was, I think it's kind of fun if you don't take it too seriously. But I find there's quite a lot of comedians on it. And I think that's because, because there's a lot of freelancers on it. And I know that when I'm working from home, it can drive you quite mad just having your own, only yourself for company. And it kind of slightly fakes that office environment. Yeah, yeah. That you can be a bit like, hey, look at this. Or like, you know, someone says a funny thing and you can go, oh. I like it when somebody like, they need to know something. It's like, hey, does anybody know a recipe for cucumber pizza? And then somebody will write something from, you know, Germany. Have you used it for that ever? No, I've never done that. I've done, um, does anybody know a good restaurant or something? And is it help? <laughs> yeah. But who knows? Who knows the person that's telling you? They could live in a cave. <laughs> what, what's your Twitter? Is it Rich? Rich underline Fulcher. Right. And um, something else I want to ask you about is films. Wayne's World 2. That is a mistake. Okay. It's actually Wayne's World. I was an on-camera double for Wayne. Wow. And it was literally like early, early. Uh, I went to Chicago briefly and the person that ran this theater said, you look a lot like Mike Myers. So I went in there and then I did it. I did an on-camera double thing. Which scene? All the ones where you can't see him directly. Like the Bohemian Rhapsody thing where they're in the car bobbing up the heads. That's me. That's awesome. And you, you know what was weird is we were just singing different. We weren't singing Bohemian Rhapsody. We did something like, come on to my house, come on to my house. Just something lame. And was it exciting being in the film? Well, it was because Mike Myers and Dana Carvey weren't there. We were like doing all the... So I was basically the top, the person, right? And I would drive the pacer from set to set, from location to location, because we'd be driving by all these sites, you know? And so people would stop the stop and go, Hey, Wayne Campbell! And I would sign autographs. Did you really? Yeah. And then one time there was these guys that they looked like devil worshippers. They came and go, hey, man, why don't you guys come over and watch your set afterwards? And I'm thinking, yeah, I'll do that. But then I thought, well, what if my wig came off and they tried to eat my heart or something? That might not be good. And so then another film, The Boat That Rocked. Yes. You were supposed to be in it. Yes. And you're in the DVD extras. Um, yeah. It was a bit with James Corden. James Corden. We had a scene. We were all excited we, when we stayed there that night for to do the film at the hotel. Philip Seymour Hoffman was there, and you know we were all psyched. And then we got a notice that you know oh, we just it's not part of the storyline, and we needed to cut. And so, but you were in the DVD extras, and yeah. then and then another film thing, which isn't you in it, but you get a little mention in Shaun of the Dead. <laughs> Oh, Fulci's. Yeah. Yeah. It's a scene when um, Simon Pegg is like ringing up a restaurant. Yeah. And it's called Fulci's yeah. and it's named after you, right? Yeah. No, yeah. It's funny. I used to live with those guys briefly. 
uh, Simon and Nick. And actually Edgar, too, separately. Yeah, and, and another thing, in space, there's a character that lives, he's an artist, Mark Heap. There's an episode where he's lying to his mom about being a lawyer. And is that That's me! <laughs> Have you ever worked with those guys directly? Um, I've eaten pizza with them. <laughs> Did I do it? I haven't worked with them, really. I actually met Simon in Australia when we were doing like a festival. So we've worked together in that capacity, but I don't think we've... Oh, and he was a guest on Modern Problems. Oh, okay. The TV show. Oh. Which nobody has a copy of. <laughs> do you have any of those in your I, attic? I think I do, but they're on um, 8-track tape. <laughs> um, so you've got a book coming out. Yes. That's kind of why you're here. Tiny Acts of Rebellion. Do you like the cover? I do like the cover, yeah. 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 It's, uh, you should describe it. Well, it's basically me defacing my face. So, um, but it's 97 almost legal ways to stick it to the man. And it's little acts that you can do every day to stop from going insane. Because, you know, if we don't do these things, you can become Michael Douglas and falling down. You just go apeshit. I think all of us have done one of these at one time or another. So I'm just codifying it. Did you decide to do this because you just found yourself constantly doing them? Or? Yeah, well, I've done all of them, but I just decided to write them down. And, and then I thought, well, that's enough for a book. I can make enough to, you know, get some craft services. Which are your favorites? Well, I like the, this is very simple. Everybody does it, but we don't utilize it enough. It's the clap after everyone's clapped so everyone's clapping and then all of a sudden you go you just go that one extra one afterwards you've got to do it too and then if somebody else is doing it you have a battle but there's another one that i call the pop clap which is just a, a pop clap out of nowhere it's it, not at the end but like in the middle of a speech you just go like that i love that and then people turn around like what are you doing and then at that point, do you look proud or do you just act like you do? I look proud. <laughs> so the book is out now. What else? What's next? So you're writing this show... Tiny Acts of Rebellion out now. Tiny Acts of Rebellion out now. I'm writing the script. Um, a lot of other irons in the fire, but I don't really want to say because I might jinx myself. Okay, but people can keep an eye on all of them on your website. And I might be going to Australia. I might be bringing Eleanor in the spring. Bringing her to Australia? Yeah. Doing what? Well, I think I'm going to do a live show. I just thought it's time to go live again. I'm going live, people. I'm live. Hi. Okay, so details for, for that and for all the stuff you're doing is details on your website. to follow. And, yeah, and also tinyactsofrebellion.com. You can find out about how to rebel. And your website is richvulture.com? Huh? Yeah, yeah, that's Rich it. Richvulture, thanks so much for coming on. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening. If you like that, you'll probably love the book that I put together with Deborah Francis White called Off the Mic, The World's Best Stand-Up Comedians Get Serious About Comedy. So asking them things like, what's your writing process? How do you find your voice? What do you think about touring? How do you deal with hecklers? We interviewed 42 stand-ups, including Eddie Izzard, Sarah Millican, Phil Jupiter, Stuart Lee, Mark Maron. It's out now on Bloomsbury Publishing. If you want to find out more, go to Yes Yes Marsha.com forward slash off the mic.